Greetings, Coven, all of you magical beings out there. This is Kelly popping in real quick at the top of the episode to let you know that we are running a supporter survey. It is way past time that the Library Coven gets to know our audience and way past time that we get your feedback about the content that we're making. Click on the link in the show notes to take the Library Coven survey. It shouldn't require more than five to 10 minutes, and we really appreciate it. So please, please take the survey. Okay, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to The Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fan- fantasy <laughs> through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. This week, we're discussing Pet by Akweke Imezi. This book tells the story of Jam, a young girl who lives in a place called Lucille that is a loving and accepting place where systems of oppression have been broken. But when an angel slash monster comes out of Jam's mom's painting saying there's a monster in Jam's friend Redemption's house, Jam has to decide how to help when the adults don't believe bad people exist anymore. And we'd like to issue a content warning for discussions of physical and sexual abuse at the top. If you don't subscribe to the show already, please do so. You can do it on whatever podcast app or catcher that you use. And that way you never miss an episode when we come out with one. Initial reactions. Reading this novel was an absolute delight for me. I loved how the author developed the relationships between the characters and pulled off some intrepid world building that imagines post-revolutionary times. And I just was so refreshed by that, you know, given that the context we're in right now, we're recording this in January of 2021. So, and plena pandemia, as we would say in Spanish. Amazie does this without sacrificing the nuance of how hard it can be for young folks to stand up for each other and at times against adults. I really, I enjoyed this. I think I enjoyed it more because it's like straight up YA, even like middle grade. Maybe we had been doing some... A bit of slogging through <laughs> podcast books lately. So a, a bit of heavy adult books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this this book deals with heavy topics uh, in a respectful way. What do you think? Um, I really enjoyed this book. It was a pretty quick read that still dealt with some really heavy issues. I listened to the audiobook, which I think is about five hours without listening to it at double speed. That's short. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really short. And I would say this is on the younger side of YA, maybe closer to middle grade. But like you said, it covers some really important issues in a way that I think is accessible to young readers, which is also really nice to see. Um, it's not just adults dealing with the big stuff. <laughs> like I could totally see this book being really great in a classroom. Like yeah, with for sure. Middle schoolers or, some, or, you know, yeah, I think middle school would be good or early high school even. But yeah. But also, like, don't put labels on it. Like, if older readers also want to read this, this is a great book for, you know, people across the age spectrum. It right. might be a little difficult, I think, for some um, elementary school kids. They Agreed. might not understand some of the, like, nuance that's going on mm-hmm. with um, with um, Jam's friend Redemption and the brother and that sort of thing. But I definitely think middle school, high school, for sure. Time to talk world building in Through the Wardrobe. So this world is pretty interesting in that it is pretty much the same as our own, except that 
systems that were in place that have caused oppression have been broken down. So we see at the beginning of the novel that society has dealt with issues surrounding police and wealth disparities. And what the novel does really well is show that while breaking down those systems is an initial step, there are individuals who will still do terrible things and that we might still need to plan for that eventuality. So I think a lot of times, especially when you're thinking about social justice, we talk a lot about like systems that are in place, but really don't always talk about individual actions. And I think that's because at this point that we're in right now, you know, the systems are what are the problem. But once those are broken down, it will probably be individuals that are causing issues (laughs) in our real world. I love what you just said, because that is one of the core I think themes of the novel in general Mm -hmm. and on that point there's a passage that really resonated with me talking about like the aftermath of the revolution this is on page 79 quote there were so many challenges like like how finding the monsters was one thing but keeping more from forming was another like how the work of addressing the wounds they caused never seemed to end end quote throughout the entire read a lot of like transformative justice connections for me And I'm a total novice in that area, honestly, but I can say that I'm learning from people like Ajaris Dixon and Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasinha, and they have edited a book called We Want to Do More Than Survive, which has just some like nice chapters or conversations about TEJ and what that looks like in different communities. So that's what I was, I was thinking about that a lot while I was reading this book. Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't think, you know, like you and I, for the podcast at least don't read a lot of books that take place in our real world like contemporary fantasy I think we have a few lined up for next season which will be fun but so it's interesting to see a world that like has magic but it's so similar to ours that like the magic is like really an underlying factor it's not like the biggest part of the book right it's more like imagining like the political imagination of like Mm -hmm. what is it like after the revolution and how do we relate to each other yeah yeah wands out let's discuss all things magic so i think pet is one of the biggest parts of the magic in the story so jam's mom bitter creates a painting of pet and jam's blood is what brings pet to life and by the end jam thinks pet must be an angel so there's a lot going on there with maybe some religious aspects to the story but the book doesn't really get into it too much about like what angels are or uh what religion they would be like connected to which i thought was a good way to go about having like these like celestial beings that aren't relegated to just one religion and the world seemed to kind of be like almost religionless so it was kind of interesting to see how they like played with that and in a magical way yeah it was lady it was (laughs) it was almost like the um I agree with you. The angel was almost, it really did draw from this like mm, martial, like bellicose sort of imaginary of the angels finding the monsters and having to do bad things. So like the discussion of tactics was there too. Um, but the angels, it, it seemed like kind of like a, a way of metaphorizing social justice warriors. Like, like I say that tongue in cheek, obviously, but that sort of figure, you know, that's going to do anything, no matter what, to dismantle oppression. Right. And Pet was talk Pet was talking about that. And so were Aloe and Bitter. Those are Jam's parents because they have a few conversations with Jam about things before. Because it seems like her parents had lived through the pre-revolution times. Yeah, I think they had for sure. So they had like seen some of the like 
things that had happened obviously in our real world like I think Jam mentions you know police brutality and then wealth disparity and like those sorts of things so um, her parents had actually seen those things happening whereas Jam has not and Jam and Pet have this like extra connection probably because pet came like was brought to life with her blood also i didn't get were the razor blades in the painting and jam cut herself on one yeah i think it was like a multimedia painting and so yeah i I assume that the razors were in the painting (laughs) oh my god (laughs) what's she doing (laughs) i don't she's like climbing on desk chair um (laughs) hold on one second (laughs) Lainey has joined the podcast, everyone. Uh, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) I think the razors were in the painting. And so I'm, I wasn't really a hundred percent sure about like what kind of art um, Bitter made, but from that painting, at least it made it seem like maybe she did some things with like multimedia art and like put different things into the artwork because I think Jam even talks about how like realistic it looked and like I think the razors were supposed to be kind of like scales and maybe she didn't re- obviously she didn't realize that they were razors <laughs> and like maybe don't touch razors they're sharp and dangerous <laughs> and well and her parents also gave the impression that this is not the first time that they've seen like Bitter's mm-hmm. paintings come to life that that was more common during the revolution and the movement yeah like when things were really getting broken down instead of rebuilt so maybe there's something magic about Bitter's paintings as well, or Bitter herself. I'm not sure. Yeah, or just art. Who knows? Art. Yeah. Yeah. Magical, <laughs> like books. Yeah. So I guess we also get a little bit of blood magic, which yeah we see in lots of stories. But it was interesting in this sense that it was, you know, Jam's blood that makes the, the magic happen. But it also seemed like it could have been anyone's blood that did it because it had been bitter's blood in the past that had done this created right. this angel slash monster <laughs> right or pet. Pet. <laughs> pet and it's all feathery and we should mention that it like i was imagining like a sinister big bird with no face almost i don't know i mean that seems like a pretty good description <laughs> <laughs> a creepy big bird a big bird's creepy either way i was imagining it yellow and that's probably because of big, big bird in my imagination because on the cover jam is holding a feather it looks like that's black and white i think i just imagined it being black because but i don't know why i think because it was described as like a monster which like let me check my personal biases real fast you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) look what fantasy has done to me (laughs) terrible and then jam and pet have this communicate they can communicate telepathically and they also can travel through space-time together like teleport basically like inside redemption's house so we do see some like magical abilities but the magic isn't the core part of the story it's all about like pet coming and disrupting the everything's fine meme yeah (laughs) (laughs) except that everything actually seemed fine in this world kind of but obviously was not (laughs) I thought the tr- space tra- the time like the space travel was cool. I really liked that they could um like teleport. I thought that was really interesting and we don't really get that very often in the fantasy that we read where travel is part of it. Instead we're like let's go on a long walking journey. 
<laughs> like, I'm like, please don't. <laughs> or we could. <laughs> no, please. They're Jesse's least favorite novels. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are. Wands <laughs> away. Now we're going to talk about conflict villains and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. A lot of the the evil comes from individuals with power. Um, in this society, a lot of the systems in place that cause societal problems are gone. So instead, we're taking a closer look at individual actions. In this case, Hibiscus, who is abusing a young child, Moss, who is the little brother of Jam's friend, Redemption. I think we can assume that more things like this are going on in this world but people kind of are it's easier to ignore because it's happening on an individual basis um, or inside the inside people's homes or just in like it's not at a higher societal level so because it's just the individual actions it's a lot easier to have been hidden and that's why we see um, pet coming into being is to to help with this issue yeah, search for the monster in the house of redemption. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I, I, uh, the way that Amazie was able to like nuance the conversation between like doing quote good things or bad things or evil things. You know, just seeing like just showing how the binaries like we, humans really love binaries and how they're inadequate a lot of the time. And I think the story maybe deals a little bit with. Mm, you know, giving people second chances. And I do think a lot of times when we're reading YA books, there's a lot of talk about that. And even middle grade novels about giving people second chances. And a lot of times in those books, people come back from that and they, you know, have redeemed themselves and they don't make those mistakes again. But I think we see in this novel, it seems like Hibiscus has done something similar before and then he does it again. So I think this also shows that Sometimes it's good to continue to be wary of people who have <laughs> done really bad things in the past. Like maybe like not everyone is worthy of like a redemption arc because they're going to continue to do these bad things. So I thought this was a good way to talk about this, especially in a book for a younger audience. Just a reminder that while it's OK to forgive people, like you maybe need to still be on the lookout for them to like hurt you or hurt someone else again in the future. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I would say that the adults not believing the kids that I didn't put this in there, but that just came to mind right now that that would be another one is one of the other points of that creates conflict in the book. And the last thing that I wanted to mention was this is like between jam and redemption. We see that not being upfront and telling hard truths creates some conflict between the two young protagonists. So jam doesn't tell redemption about the fact that pet came to find the monster in his house. Right. I like how, Amazie draws out this situation and shows the process of redemption. Like when he finds out this like quote betrayal or whatever, how he takes space and Jam gives that to him. And then the two find a way to reconcile and make amends. And so I appreciate how it showed like the whole span of the conflict, you know, how it like the lead up to it because Pet was talking to Jam and was like, are you sure you don't want to tell the whole truth? And then we were like, Jam's not going to do it. And then we knew it was going to happen, obviously. But I just like how they gave space for redemption to have his own feelings and for him to like separate himself a little bit and then saw that you know they were working to get they're like very connected and working together you know to for this bigger cause at the end of the day yeah and I think that kind of goes along with like what I was saying earlier about showing that like some actions might need 
like reconciliation and some actions while you can, you know, kind of give space for people to make amends. Like it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to learn from that. Um, so I think maybe that is like kind of juxtaposed redemption's story arc with um, Hibiscus's story arc, which is, you know, Hibiscus continued to do a bad thing, whereas Jam did a bad thing, you know, apologized for it, gave redemption the space to make his decision about it. And then the two reconciled. Exactly. So, like there can be space for that reconciliation, but it, you know, the people involved have to make those decisions about whether they want to let that happen or not. Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. I didn't put a whole lot in here. Neither did I. <laughs> I think this is the first time that you've wrote all, you've written all the notes for this section. <laughs> and I only wrote it in like two. And I think partly because the book is showing like a very equitable society. So I think everyone in Jam's inner circle seems to be black, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes, that's what I remember. Yeah. Maybe not one of Redemption's parents. But I don't now. I don't remember. Okay, I read it like a few weeks ago. Let me just put that out there. So sometimes I just forget things. <laughs> it's okay. But for gender, I would say Jam is trans, but it's not the focal point of the story. And I think it's always great to have these kind of stories about marginalized characters where their marginalization isn't the focal point of the story. And Jam's parents aren't shitty about it. So I appreciated this, like, to have a story that was about something about a person without being about their marginalization is just always kind of nice to have like every story doesn't need to be about how shitty it is to be a marginalized person exactly yeah <laughs> and and so it just like jam's transness came up when it was relevant just like someone's mm -hmm. race would come up when it's relevant in interaction or class or whatever and so i appreciate that yeah, it talked about like oh yeah her arm gets cold when her horm because her hormone implant is there and just how it's mm -hmm. like normalizing this conversation it talks a little bit she I think it speaks a little bit about the dysphoria that she experienced at the beginning of the book mm -hmm. when it yeah. was basically like introducing her character or whatever. But right. yeah, then it kind of fades into the background and it only comes up once or twice again and everyone is accepting. And it's just, yeah, I agree with you that that's, it's nice to see a story that's not just about like a trans kid having a hard time being a trans kid. Yeah. And I think we get that a lot and rightfully so because there haven't been that many of those stories in the past. But it's just nice to see, like, the flip side of that. And I would say that about, like, most marginalizations. Like, we just don't get that many stories where it's not, you know, like, how hard is it to be black? How hard is it to be poor? How hard is it to be, you know, whatever? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's just great to get that um, every once in a while. Just, you know, I appreciate it. And it, <laughs> and it seems like that's where we, you know, are kind of are wanting representation to mm -hmm. go, you know, so that we have lots of different characters with lots of different identities and not yeah. just like a monolith. Yeah, exactly. And in that vein, we also see that Jam uses sign language because she prefers not to voice or use her voice. I appreciated the way that this was written as a hearing person who has studied some deaf culture and ASL, although I would like to see thoughts from the deaf community or community of people who use sign language uh, instead of using, instead of voicing, which is, what they say in like deaf culture is like to voice is the term that's used. But I thought it was interesting because I don't think we get that many books with that use sign language and then just treat it as if 
it is language because it is language. <laughs> right. And so that was marked in the book with when she when she was signing versus she it would be in italics, but when voicing okay. it would be like in quotes, you know, like mm-hmm. regular dialogue format. So it, when I was reading, it was very easy to see when she's voicing versus diet versus like speaking in sign language. Yeah, all the characters, the other characters in the cast would just like go off of whatever. And just like there's a lot of different ways to communicate. If someone's only writing, that's also fine. If someone, you know, Mm -hmm. but I agree with you. This was one of the first times I had seen like nonverbal language used in a book. I I love how it's just like all these differences are just normalized. You know, they're not fetishized. They're not like shining a spotlight on them to be like, oh, look, this is what difference is. It's rather like, Mm -hmm. look, these are we can be a community together. And all these people are different in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I listened to the audiobook, so I don't have didn't have those like markers for when Pet was signing versus when she was voicing. So for me, I just always assumed she was signing unless it said otherwise. But I think the story, having listened to it, did a really good job of pointing out when Pet would voice versus when she would sign. So it was like really and mostly it would like point to when she was using her voice. So I thought that that did a really good job. And yeah, it would be cool to see some books from Maybe we'll find some books by fantasy books by deaf authors. That would be great. If y'all know of some and want to recommend, please reach out. Please let us know. (laughs) Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. I'm not really sure there are any ships to be had. I really love the friendship between Jam and Rebecca redemption but it felt purely platonic and not at all romantic some of that might be i'm not really sure what the age is of the characters Mm -mm. obviously they're still in school and for some reason i just assumed middle school like they seemed younger i really enjoyed their friendship and seeing them interact with each other and they had grown up together and so um, it was really nice to see that relationship yeah they're just so close and share their emotions and like know each other and when to give each other space versus when to you know come closer and try and get the person to open up loved their relationship the only other thing that i would put in this section would be you mentioned this briefly but redemption and and moss have redemption and moss have three parents so we have another um polyamorous relationship that's just like that's just the way it is. It's just three people in this relationship and that's fine. Yeah. And it wasn't like a big deal. Like it was just noted right. because that's why we're introduced to Redemption's family. So I think Amezi did a really good job putting in lots of different people in the story without making it like a trauma story for every single marginalization, which was, re- you know, appreciated, like similar to right. Pet's um, transness. Jam's transness. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Jam. <laughs> <laughs> what you just said made me think of something and then I lost it. One second. Oh, that it. Yeah, there's so many different intersectional identities to use, like a word that's coming to mind right now. But it didn't feel like, you know, I, oh, I need to sprinkle these in to make it like hashtag representation or whatever. You know, it was like actually <laughs> yeah. had a reason for being in the text. All of these choices you could tell like were we're on purpose yeah and something actually i should have mentioned in the one does not simply section is that at their school they have a black librarian which i really appreciated yes (laughs) 
um, because I think I've literally I'm in library school right now and I have there, there's one professor <laughs> and I think through my life of going to libraries I've interacted with maybe two black librarians so I just really appreciated seeing that and really loved it and I'll just put it in shipwreck because why not like I like that relationship between <laughs> I love jam and the librarian was so sweet it was like a mentor mentee and they he, and it was just like yes there's this information and let me like open up the world to you uh, I'm so glad that you brought that up because that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole book yeah, librarians are just so important, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. They really are. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. I could rave all day about Amazie's writing style. I really loved it. I thought it was beautiful and unexpected. Very honest. What do you think? Um, I really enjoyed it as well. I haven't read anything by them before, but there was a book over the summer that was really popular, which I forgot to look up again. <laughs> <laughs> and Lainey's on the keyboard, so we can't look it up. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she's being ridiculous today. But I am excited to read more books by them because I really enjoyed this one and the writing was great. Yeah, I just loved everything about this book. So I'm excited to read more of um, Amezi's books. I'm going to link to one of, there was an article I read by them in the Paris Review not that long ago, and they were talking about, like, it was more like auto, auto bio, basically, mm, okay. talking about their, you know, chronic pain and all this shit. So it was an excellent, excellent read and felt very cathartic in pandemic times because I like when other sick people are also mad like me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was lovely cover art. It's just like enticing. It draws you in. It looks like a kind of like a super or, or like a futuristic lavender city or whatever. And then jam. And then the pet is like in gold embossed with like feathers and stuff. It's really pretty. I was um, immediately drawn to the way that it, the like aesthetic of the cover kind of reminded me of Steven Universe. Which isn't going to matter to you, but hopefully other people out there like it. <laughs> I'm like, that means nothing to me. <laughs> I think I would know Steven Universe if I saw him. Is he a character? Because I feel like I see him yes. in like memes or whatever. Yeah, he's okay. a character. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I would recognize it if I saw it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Cover art makes a big difference. I think on um, books as someone who like will pick up a book because of the cover, even though we're told not to do that, like don't lie everyone does it like, everyone definitely judge a book by its cover <laughs> <laughs> it's very important great cover i think i put it in the links for like a very different episode but there is a video of chip kid he um designs covers for oh yeah i remember you mentioning this poetry. a while ago yeah like forever ago but he talks he did the cover for jurassic park which became like the movie cover for jurassic park but he just kind of talked about like the process of um, making cover art and I just always found that like very fascinating and I think we're seeing more cover art coming out with like people of color on the cover and yes. um, people of different identities doing cover art so I've like really appreciated that um, and unsurprisingly I, like, the cover art is getting more interesting and better yeah what yeah. oh yeah we all <laughs> saw this coming and I'm also glad because you know what I don't really like real people on the cover art mm -hmm. like like romance novels that have real people on it I'm like cheesy no, I don't want no. that yeah <laughs> No, thank you, Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a cartoon person. 
Yeah, I don't want real people. And I, Talia Hibbert, like her cover is so amazing. I would also say that I appreciated the relatively short length. I thought that it was the perfect length for the story that was trying to, that was getting told. It didn't need to go on any longer. I didn't really feel um, like I was missing backstories or anything. It was just like well-contained and I just appreciate that it's a shorter book. Yeah. Like you can write a concise novel. Everything doesn't need to be 700 pages like or 860 whatever. fucking pages like Kingdom of Ash or whatever. Yeah, or like I read, okay, I started to read that new Twilight book, Midnight Sun, and it was like the most boring piece of trash. <laughs> how many pages is I that like, one? I, cannot, I have no idea how long it is. I actually don't even, it might be like 500 or something, but like, it's like scene by scene, Edward in Twilight, and like most of it is just him like going on and on about how like Bella smells to him and like all the terrible things he wants to do to her and I'm just like I cannot <laughs> I gave up <laughs> how far did you make it like 20% I'm not sure I didn't everyone's like just get to the baseball scene and that'll be fun but like that scene where she's like in Seattle or whatever and they're like going shopping and they have like dinner together for the first time I made mm-hmm. it like a little bit past that and then I was like I'm done <laughs> oh man I barely even remember that from the books in the movie I was obsessed with those books when they came out. Let me just put that I was out there. too. This is unsurprising. I don't, yeah, we haven't ever talked about Twilight together. Yeah, that's because it's actually trash when I think yeah. back on and it. And then both like of us moved on to better things. Uh, did we though? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say fantasy, especially YA fantasy, has gotten a hell of a lot better since Twilight yeah. came out. Yeah, for sure. I, I still can't get over that Like one of them was a confederate soldier for fuck's sake oh yeah i forgot about that yeah so i'm just like no thank you (laughs) (laughs) moving on to better things yeah not the book we're talking about here (laughs) i think amezi did a really good job writing about what happened to moss without ever naming it this could be really important for younger kids who are reading the story and maybe can interpret it how they want and can see themselves in the story and insert the types of abuse they've dealt with onto moss because i would say it wasn't very clear whether it was like a sexual assault or a physical assault. I mean, not the sexual assault isn't physical, but I think you understand what I mean. Yeah. It's a really sensitive topic and kids probably, not probably, they definitely deal with this on different levels. And it's probably a nice book that they could, you know, put this onto Moss and realize like what's happening to them is not right. 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 Um, And like maybe talking to an adult will help or letting someone know. And it's probably a book that could be, use very well for something like bibliotherapy um, Mm -hmm. if they live somewhere where that's a program for them so it was a really sensitive topic and it was handled so beautifully and just um, so sensitively that I think that would be really helpful to young people and older people who have been through this I really liked it and I really appreciated how Amezi wrote about the abuse going on in the story yeah, and how we got to see how it affects the um, sibling too. you know, redemption, putting some pieces together and just like off of reading the pamphlets that were available about things like child abuse, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, that the librarian had made available to them. So it's like another yet another point in favor of like why all this information needs to be readily available for people. So redemption, putting those pieces together and realizing um, that, oh, yeah, maybe this means something is wrong. And yeah, just the way that he approached Moss about it. And then Moss ended up drawing you know, a picture of a flower and that's how they co- communicated that it was hibiscus who was the perpetrator. Yeah. I just thought this was done, like you said, incredibly well in a way that invites more conversation. 
rather than in a way that's like, oh, got it. Like this shameful thing that is happening, shut it down, like keep it in the dark. Like that's the exact opposite of what of the ethos of the book. Recommend if you like. Did we have any? I really don't because I don't think I've read anything like this before. No, me either. So I guess let us know what you would like. What yeah. books do you think go along with this or TV shows? I was um, trying to think of like a book with like a younger protagonist with some sort of non-human companion being. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't think of any. <laughs> yeah, I really can't. And I actually also don't read that much middle grade fiction. So I should probably also just like get on that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because it's what I want to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think pretty much anyone would like this book. I think so. If I think if you like contemporary fantasy, if you want to read a book about kids dealing with some difficult things, some heavy topics, then yeah, maybe also if you like Akweke and Mezzi in general, you would also enjoy this book. But mm-hmm. I haven't read their other works, so I'm not sure. <laughs> Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way? Or did it make you interrogate a system or concept or trend that you hadn't before? I feel like I've kind of touched on this a little bit already. But one of the things I really liked about this novel is that it focuses on individual actions. Um, Because the way our society is, we show kids a ton of instances where bad people are so easy to recognize. Like in a Disney movie, you can tell who's bad just by looking at them. And that's not the case in real life. It's so easy to hide behind a mask. And this book shows that even people who are close to us can do bad things. I think that's a really important lesson for young people to learn. But I think it's also an important lesson for adults to learn. Like just because someone seems like a good person doesn't mean they're actually a good person. Like people hide behind all sorts of things, including their like outward actions outside of their home. And just because they seem like a good person outside of in society does not mean they're a good person in their home life or with their family or you know lots of instances i.e like serial killers obviously everyone's always like i never would have guessed like no (laughs) then we should be guessing we should if that's what we've been saying for this long then maybe we should be guessing that yeah just don't trust everyone (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness I guess I have this like pattern of bringing a quote and I just like read it in this section and then we see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to do that now. It came to mind because I had read this thing that you put in the section first and then I was writing my notes and I thought, oh, this quote kind of relates to what Jesse put in here. So this is Pet talking to Jam on page 95. Quote, the truth doesn't change whether it is seen or unseen. It whispered in her mind. A thing that is happening happens whether you look at it or not. And yes, maybe it's easier not to look. Maybe it's easier to say because you do not see it, it is not happening. Maybe you can pull the stone out of the pool and put the moon back together. Really encapsulates this this point that you're making about, you know, just because it doesn't look bad doesn't mean bad things aren't happening or that it isn't bad. You know, like Walmart doesn't necessarily look like a bad thing. But then when you start getting into like everything that contributes to the fact that Walmart even exists and you're like, oh, wait bad yeah or we see it with like bigger like on the face of it police don't seem like a bad idea but when they're doing bad things all the time and the way that they you know act Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean you just have to think about like what the actual things that are happening behind closed doors are or sometimes not behind closed doors sometimes like on camera for the whole world to see (laughs) right and so one of the big things that i think pet the novel and the character 
are trying to communicate to everyone is that yeah some it's easier not to see the soul like ignorance is bliss sort of thing but that that's not a tenable or that's not like a tactic that you can use if you actually want to address harm yeah which is like very prescient right now i would say i think i posted on instagram earlier this week about like white women influencers not <laughs> refusing to speak about <laughs> racial justice because oh my god you know they don't see these things happening or they don't want to believe they're happening or like you know they, they don't would mess up their feed their- yeah, they want their feed to have a certain look and not bring politics into things, but and share their Bible verses instead <laughs> was was the end of that that Bleh. reel or TikTok or whatever it was. Right, pretending not to see things and being willfully ignorant of things doesn't change what's happening in any way, shape, or form. You just look like you don't care, and that and you don't also has consequences. Well, yeah, and you don't care. <laughs> But that has consequences for people. um, And I think sometimes people forget that. Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Deathless Divide by Justina Ireland, the sequel to Dread Nation, which we did an episode about a while ago. So check out episode 18 if you're interested. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at the Library Coven. You can post or tweet about the show using the hashtag critically reading or hashtag the Library Coven, and you can contact us via email at thelibrarycoven at gmail.com. Y'all can subscribe to the show uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And we would super appreciate it if you rate and review the show and also spread the word to other rad people out there. Maybe we could do like a giveaway for people who actually like write reviews instead yeah, of we just definitely like, could. <laughs> I mean, we do those for Instagram followers. Might as well do it for <laughs> listeners. Why not? Why not? If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon in exchange for early episodes, bonus episodes, swag, maybe in the future, and much more. Uh, the Discord, for example. And you can support the show by stop shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical.